You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. So we are going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 16 on down. Am I saying that right? 18 on down through 25. One of the things that you're going to struggle with most in your Christian journey is misplaced hope. Misplaced hope. The idea that the next season will have some victory in it that will finally satisfy this emptiness inside of me. The next chapter of my life will finally have that relationship I've longed for whether it be that it's a romantic relationship or whether it be a friendship or whether it be a child finally you know, coming into your life and, or your grandchild or whatever it is, that idea that if I could finally in the next season get that, a job, uh, an opportunity, a new house, a something, when I get that, man, I'm going to feel that filling sense that this is what I've longed for, this is what I was hoping for, and now that this is in my life, I can have a sense of rest or a sense of joy. And so at every chapter, we find ourselves disappointed again and empty again, having a deeper sense of it because we finally got something that we thought was going to be the answer and it wasn't. And so we're left with a deeper longing, a deeper ache in our souls. That misplaced hope follows us all the way through every chapter of our life, every step of the journey. C.S. Lewis called it uh, by its German word, Zangzucht. As soon as I heard that, I said, man, I got to know what that is. I got to remember that. Zangzucht is the idea that there is a longing in every human heart for God and for heaven. And we mistake that longing for other things. We start thinking, well, if I had more money, I'd be okay. If I had this person in my life, I'd be okay. If I had this recognition from my peers, I'd be okay. If I had this perfect spouse, I'd be okay. That's saying, dude, that is God inside of you carving out a hole for himself that no one else can fill, nothing else can fill, and we continually long for it whether we want to or not. Well, listen to Romans chapter 8 because Paul's going to have a lot to say about suffering. And let me just say this. Everybody here has something they're wrestling with or even in this moment deeply suffering through, and it hurts. And we find a way to just put on a brave face and soldier through that sometimes. And at other times, we don't. We we don't have the capacity to just smile and convince everybody, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm okay. Listen, your father doesn't need you to pretend at all right now. That you don't have a longing and a hurt and an emptiness, something that you're suffering with or suffering through. Romans chapter 8. Listen to these words, what Paul says. He says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now I love verse 18 that says, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. You know, Paul has just said in the previous verse that as we suffer with Christ in order that we may be glorified with Him, he's introducing this idea that suffering is a part of living in this broken world you're not going to get around it with money, and you're not going to get around it with uh, being really super smart so that you know when to turn right or left to avoid suffering. Everybody, everybody in this broken world, in this sin-stained world, suffers. Uniquely, the Christian who decides they want to follow Jesus is going to suffer. I'll tell you something. If you decide you're a Christian, you don't want to follow Jesus. You've got a bigger disconnect happening there. But you're still going to suffer because you live in this broken world. Well, what am I supposed to do as a Christian who's suffering and has faith in God and feels like what you've sung and been taught your whole life is that if you follow God, believe God, obey God, you're not going to suffer? I don't think people are reading the scriptures well when they say things like that. Paul says suffering is a part of the required coursework of being a Christian in this world. And so now what does he say? But I don't think that you can compare, you should not compare the suffering of this present time with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Paul says something that sounds like this in my mind. I've done the math. And you can't compare the suffering of this generation, of this current age, of this current life that you're living. You can't compare that with the glory that is to be revealed. So take all of your suffering like, like large stones and start stacking them together. Every disappointment, every setback, every injury... Every letdown, every bit of loneliness, every bit of rejection, if you start stacking them on this side of a scale, you'd have to say that, biblically speaking, it would be wrong not to acknowledge that this is real, this is hurtful, this is difficult. I should cry over, I should lament over, I should learn how to lament over the rejection and the disappointment that I have faced in this life. You know, I mean, if you got to learn to throw ice cube at, at the wall, the brick wall, good. You go, what, what are you talking about? Whatever it is that helps you get the energy of this brokenness and loneliness and hurt and rejection, whatever it is that helps you express that, there is no biblical mandate not to recognize it. 
If you stack it all on one big scale over here, here's the one thing you can't do. Stack heaven next to it on this side of the scale. It's a mismatch. No matter how real, no matter how hurtful, no matter how ugly this is, don't put it on the scale next to heaven and say, well, at least I get to go to heaven someday. That's the one thing you can't do. Friends, have you read John chapter 14 where Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you. Now that, that's worth meditating on. That's exciting. Have you read about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when he starts talking about how in the twinkling of an eye and, and we're going to be changed, that the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout and there will be a command and a trumpet and all of a sudden heaven's going to split open, Jesus is going to come down, we're going to look around and go, what is happening? And all of a sudden you're changed and you're putting on imperishability. I like the sound of imperishability, unbreakability eternality, immortality, you're putting that on. And then Revelation chapter 21 and 22, as he goes on deeper and deeper and deeper into what it's going to be like to live in the eternal city, in our new immortal bodies, to walk by this river that comes from the throne of God. And you start to realize that that's home. That that's where I belong. There'll be no tears. There'll be no mourning. Heaven's marked a lot by what it doesn't have. Crying, uh, mourning, and, and hurt, and suffering, and sickness. It's not there. And your heart finally says what Jewel the Unicorn says in the final battle. says, this is my true home, and I never knew it until I arrived here. This is where I belong. And then it says we're going to reign forever and ever. That sounds like a long time. And so when you look back and you see the suffering of your life, it will be boiled down to a handful of memories. And you'll say to yourself, that was temporal. This is eternal. That I experienced in a broken body with a broken heart and a broken mind. That was not at all like what I'm experiencing now in an eternal body with a brain and a heart and a mind that are fixed by grace. I can worship and sing without any sense of insecurity. I can love without needing to be loved back. This is eternal. That was temporary. So what you can do and what you should do. And what I want you to try to hear me say loud and clear, I want to speak to you for a moment as your pastor, as one of the pastors here in this church. I want you to hear this. We're not very good at lament, and we need to learn to do that. Meaning your inner angry coach comes out when you suffer sometimes. You know what I mean by that? Like my kids are in sports now, they talk about, well, that's a nice coach, and that's a nice coach, but that's the angry coach, right? Your inner angry coach comes out when you start to suffer and says something like this, well, you got air conditioning, you got food, you know, what, what do I have to complain about? I mean, at least uh, nobody's pulling my fingernails out, and so maybe I shouldn't complain. Friends, that's nonsense. When you're hurting, here's what you should say. 
Psalm 62 and verse 8 says, trust in the Lord at all times, whether things are going your way, whether they stink. And for some of you right now, you are suffering. God sees it. You see it. Don't hide from it. Carry it right into his presence and say to him, Father, this, this is hard. This stinks. I didn't want this. I don't want this. I want you to remove this. Please take this from me. Jesus said that in the garden, right? Take this cup from me. I mean, we skip right by that to not my will but yours be done, but let's admit that he did pray. I don't want this. Please take this. You can do that. You should do that. He did that. Psalm 62 says, trust in the Lord at all times. Pour out your heart before him. Not pour out the good stuff and pour out what you like. Pour out your heart. The good, the bad, the ugly, the disappointments, the fears, the rejections, the loneliness, the regrets, all of that. Pour it out in front of him and say to him, Father, I need to come before you and it's not going to be super pretty. (laughs) It might even look and sound like I'm complaining. Okay, but listen to me. You've never surprised him one time He already knew, he already understood why your heart felt the angst and the longing and the rejection. He already got that. And for you to come in front of him and say, this is a deep and honest struggle and I don't like it, is some of the most beautiful prayer you're ever going to pray. Pour out your heart before him is what Psalm 62 says. He is a refuge for those who trust in him. So I just want to encourage you, you don't have to be all buttoned up, polished up in presentation mode when you come in front of God with the suffering in your life. You should let him have the fullness of your suffering because guess what? You're going to find out that he can make sense of it in ways that you can't. And as he starts to make sense of the suffering you're walking through, you're going to be able to experience with the grace of God things you could never imagine. So feel it, cry over it, lament over it. That's good, that's healthy. But just don't compare it to what's coming your way because that's a mismatch. Well, that sounds good. Don't compare the future glory of what's coming our way to the suffering right now. But why are we in this mess? Well, you kind of have to look back to understand your now. Keep watching It says in verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Let me stop for a moment and and help you understand that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. God created the world, and if you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what you'll see in Genesis chapter 1 is a uh, linear, chronological ordering of the creation, telling of that story. In chapter 2 of Genesis, you see a thematic telling of that story, big picture happening there. It had order, harmony. It was beautiful, and there was an order and creation there that allowed not just harmony between uh, nature, but also harmony between God and man, and it was perfect. 
And we know what happened. Creation in this passage is shown to be longing and waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. What the heck does that mean? It means this. I don't know if you ever saw that uh, Rocky Three. You remember Rocky Three? who fights Clever Lang, and he's at this dedication of the statue, and it's all covered up with a drape, and, and Rocky's there, and all of a sudden they, they pull down the drape, and, and he's got that bronze there. It's like 1,500 pounds or something like something crazy like that. Sylvester Stallone had never seen the statue undraped before that moment. They wanted to capture his honest expression. Because you got a crowd of people there, and you've got the statue, and all of a sudden, the veil comes off, and it's revealed. Well, guess what? Creation is waiting for the revealing of you and I. Not in these fleshly, breaking, broken bodies, but in the imperishable, immortal body that you'll have someday. Creation is longing to see you undraped by this sinful, broken flesh that we dwell in now, but to see you as you were meant to be in an immortal, imperishable body. Why does creation say, why would creation long for that? Because creation was broken and cursed the same day Adam sinned. And Adam was cursed. Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to read this. Listen to what happens. The story you maybe know, maybe you've heard. God had told them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Well, they did. They looked, they saw, they took, they disobeyed, they sinned. And what happened after that? My nemesis... uh, What happened after that? Well, they started hiding. They took fig leaves and they covered themselves up. So they hid from each other. This is what sin will do to you too. It'll make you hide from those closest to you. And then they started hiding from God. Sin will do that too in your life. It always will. Always make you want to cover up and hide. Always make you want to pretend that you have something better to hide behind than grace. And so sin has given them this uh, sense of shame, this sense of hiding, and then it also gives them a sense of blaming. And as God came, because God pursues sinners who are hiding, he pursues, it says that God spoke to them and said to the serpent, verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, it's important to know, whatever the serpent was when he came in, he was shiny and upright. It's the curse that made serpents so doggone ugly and despicable. The curse is when he said, you're going to go on your belly now. You used to go upright, shiny. And you're going to eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put strife or enmity between you and the woman and the woman and her offspring. And here's the first mention of Jesus in the scriptures. He, singular male pronoun, he someday will come. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So there's going to be some kind of collision between you and him, and he's going to kick you and crush you in the head, and it's going to be so violent that he'll be wounded in the process. We know, looking back, that's the cross. 
when Jesus put an end to the serpent. And it says also to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be uh, contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So there's going to be strife between husband and wife, between men and women. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree which I commanded you that you shall not eat of it, cursed will be the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for uh, you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. What is Paul talking about here, about creation longing for the revealing of the sons of men, to be set free from the bondage that it was subjected to? He's talking about Genesis chapter 3. Creation wants out of this deal. Creation doesn't want to be bound by this subjection that it was given in Genesis chapter 3. There was never going to be tornadoes and hurricanes. There was never going to be cursed fire ants. I got attacked by them yesterday. Miserable. I'm like, what were you guys supposed to be before the curse? Like, surely you weren't that miserable, terrible little brood that you are right now. It's terrible. These like little like itchy pimples on my feet right now. It's just awful. They curse you. Curse you little fire ants, right? They weren't meant to be that way. There wasn't supposed to be this kind of uh, subjection to futility. And creation is longing for us to have our revealing someday that it too might be set free from this curse. This is not how it's supposed to be. Creation itself wants to be set free from the bondage to corruption, to obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. When we see hurricanes and when we see forest fires, as we saw yesterday, fires, brush fires like that, you need to know this is not at all what God had intended. This is a result of sin. Sin brought this suffering on creation. Sin brought wars, violations, crimes. Sin brought that into this world. Glorified Christians someday will not sin against each other. They will not sin against God. The creation will be set free. It's like a prisoner, a weary prisoner saying, I so want out of this. Someday I'll be set free. No more thorns and thistles. It'll just be a perfect harmony with perfect people because God will set us free. Now that's part of how we get through suffering, right? You realize that part of how we get through suffering is realizing that this is just a chapter in your life. Because your life is not just the life that you have on this earth. Your life is an eternal life where you reign forever and ever. And so this is hard, and this is difficult, and this is dark, and this is all, but it's not permanent. 
Friends, one of the things that you're going to have to be continually reminded of, not just by the scripture, not just by your shepherds, but by each other, is that this is not permanent. We're walking through this. We won't live here. I've seen many Christians who lose their way in the midst of a valley, and all of a sudden, they end up with a cynical view of God, with a cynical view of people, and they start to believe, this will never get better. I will never change. These circumstances will not get better. And God is whispering in, through the suffering times in our lives, hold on to the promise. Hold on to me. This is temporary. It's not forever. Listen to this. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Those pains, the groaning, what he's saying is all of these things, these calamities, these terrible things that are happening, these catastrophes happening in the ocean and happening in earthquakes and happening. This is just the world saying, I never wanted this. This isn't how it's supposed to be. And it's been groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but also us. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption, wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, no matter how healthy or strong you are, no matter how pretty or handsome you are, the best version of you, you still don't feel satisfied. You still feel like there's something else, like there should be something. You groan inwardly saying, you know, is that it? Is that all? I mean, if this is as good as it gets, I'm disappointed. I'm still longing for something that isn't here. I'm still thinking that if this is where I placed my hope, maybe it was misplaced hope. Listen to me, beloved church, that is misplaced hope. You are groaning inwardly, and a lot of times we, when we see this verse, we say, yeah, it talks about the adoption, our, the completion of our adoption. We've already been adopted, but we're not home yet. Some of you know that it was, it's a pretty long process to do adoption, and there were several trips to Africa where I had to come home without them. And as I left, I said, hey, I promise you I'll come back. I promise I'll come. No matter what it takes, I won't get let go until you get to get on the plane with me and come home. And that took a while. It took a long time. That was the completion of the adoption. You know, the completion of our adoption is the redemption of our bodies, where we get to say, okay, I am no longer aching with sickness I'm no longer feeling weird little jabs of pain just because you know, I was walking or something like that. This is something that young people just don't get. And I, and I hate that because in our, in our gospel community, you, you get us going sometimes. And some of us guys start talking about our little ailments. And before you know it, man, we're, we're off to the races, you know. We didn't used to do that when we were 25, 30, but we do now. You got these little weird aches. Yeah. You know, that's coming for you. <laughs> Such an old person thing to say. But yeah, it goes fast. It goes fast. And you look up and realize, oh, wow, another chapter of life has gotten by me. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting older quicker than I imagined. Years go by quicker. And you start realizing time is moving faster. 
And here's what you're longing for. You're longing for fulfillment that can't be found on this earth. There's an inward groaning inside of us that wants to see the completion of our adoption where our bodies are no longer flawed by sin, but also we don't have carry around with us in emptiness saying, man, I was hoping this was going to be the answer. This thing, this person, this achievement, this accomplishment, this opportunity, I was hoping that would be the answer. It's never going to be the answer. You guys know that the... The very week that Deion Sanders had scored both a touchdown in the NFL and a, a major league home run, that that was the week that he had felt like maybe he should take his own life. Because he figured that, I mean, who could reach for such a height? A professional athlete in two sports scoring on the largest stage and still feeling a sense of, oh no, that's it? If that's as good as it gets... And it still isn't the answer. Where do I go from here? That's the longing that Christians can feel as well. Because God is continually inviting you back to himself. Continually saying to you, I am the place where your hope will never be misplaced. I am that place where you are safe to look to and ask for. Father, would you give me another portion of your kindness, of your goodness? Remind me again who you are and who I am. Listen to what else he says. After he says we groan inwardly and waiting for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, listen to what he says. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So you don't really have to be a Bible scholar to pick up on the fact that the word hope is used five times in two verses. There's a, it's not by accident. There's an intentionality behind that word hope being used five times in two verses. Hope, biblically speaking, is not what we often use the word in our context for. A lot of times we, we use the word hope to mean that I'm going to cross my fingers and bet on the best odds I know how to and hope it all works out. Plan your wedding and hope it doesn't rain, right? Because you, you really don't know, but you're hoping, you're hoping. Well, biblically speaking, that's not what Paul is describing. Get this. Biblical hope is the certain confidence that the promises of God are true, for you. Biblical hope is certain confidence, absolute confidence. No matter what's going on around you, you have confidence that the promises of God are true for you. Not just true. You, you might be willing to even accept, well, I th yeah, I think the promises of God are true. Okay, they're true for you. Not just somebody somewhere, not just some time, some place. The promises of God are true for you. And because you have this certain confidence that what God said is true, you have certainty in the storm. You have purpose in your journey. Psalm, or pardon me, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God is tested and it is found true for those who trust in him. Every word of God is tested. It's already been tested. 
You can have confidence. Like I, even as some of the kids were crawling up here, someone said, you should preach up there. And I'm like, eh, it looks a little rickety. They're like, I don't know. I mean, I love theater people, and I'm confident that I mean, my, my daughter's a theater person, right? I'm just like, I don't think I want to stand up there and preach. The thing will collapse on me. It's not weight rated, right? Okay, the word of God is weight rated. It's, it's true. It will hold you up. You can have confidence. You can have hope, biblical confidence in the promises of God that they are absolutely solid as a rock, and they'll hold you up as much as they'll hold up anybody. I want you to think about two inmates in the state penitentiary. One of them has just arrived, and he's got four consecutive life sentences. This is his new normal. Three cells down from him is an inmate who's been there for 15 years, but he just got a call from his attorney today saying... DNA evidence has proven that you are innocent. It's only a matter of hours or days, and you'll be let go and probably owed by the state for false imprisonment millions of dollars. Now, they're both in the exact same circumstances, but their perspectives are radically different. Why? Because of what one is looking forward to in the future and what the other is looking forward to in the future are radically different. Friends, I want you to just hear this for a moment. You can have confidence in the promises of God, no matter what you're going through, because they are true for you. You can have hope. You can have hope. How do we get through these seasons? I want you to hear this, because maybe it's been a while since you've heard these words. This is from the Revelation just let these words, it's going to be a little bit of a longer passage. Just want let these words, engage your inner imagination to hear these words and picture some of this. John said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. What that means, every single detail has been thought of. Like a bride on her wedding day, she's thought about her shoes all the way to her veil. She's thought of everything. Heaven and this new Jerusalem is like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice coming from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And then an angel said to the apostle John, come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. 
It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, there were three gates. On the north, there were three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And I saw the temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what, it's de- what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the angel showed me a river, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign with Him forever and ever. (laughs) Friends, that's waiting for us, and it's one day closer than it was yesterday. We're going to be there. And if you have for this time and this season to cry and lament, then do it as a Christian, knowing that it's not permanent, it's not forever. What is waiting for you cannot even be compared to the pain you're suffering right now. It doesn't mean that your pain's not real. Where do I go when I find myself in this lonely, discouraging place? I go to the word of God and to the people of God. And I say to them, help me. I'm in a really hard spot right now. I'm lonely. I'm discouraged. I'm injured. I'm weary. I'm just facing things that are overwhelming to me. And I don't even want to admit that I'm feeling this. Okay, we're all feeling that. We all groan inwardly. How do I know the promises of God are true? Because Jesus went into that darkness for me. He was separated from his Father in that we could be made included in him, that we could have eternity in his place because he took our place on the cross. He didn't stay in the grave. On the third day, he rose again victorious over sin and death. And in him, we have our victory. That's why we celebrate That's why we hope in the midst of darkness. His promises are true, not just for everybody somewhere, someplace, but for you, for me. I want you to pray with me.
And I want you to ask God to help you lay hold of the one or two things that you need to lay hold of having heard this truth. Let's pray.